our loving God, thank you for reminding us afresh how much you love us. And as we spend time in your word, give us a deeper sense of our need of you. Thank you for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen. It's great to have uh, something of this nature here in this place. And I believe that throughout the weekend, uh, you'll be blessed. There was a young uh, little boy, he was about seven years old, who had just, just discovered the reality of Jesus in his life. And when he discovered that, he got so excited and so thrilled that he wanted to tell the whole world. And he was walking down the sidewalk and came across a gentleman and stopped and said, Mr., do you know that Jesus loves you? Well, the man cleared his throat and said, <clears throat> little boy, I want you to know that I'm a bishop. Well, the little boy had no idea what a bishop was. And so he said, that's okay, mister. It's all right. Jesus can save bishops too. Yes, Jesus can save anyone. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we find many, many interesting stories, and they have meaning for us today. In fact, the Bible is timeless. Everything in the Scriptures can be applied to any time of earth's history. Wherever you live, wherever you are, you can have a, a, a good sense and a good feeling to know that the Bible is timeless. It's not old-fashioned, as some people think. It's not outdated, as some people may suppose. It is current. In fact, it is advanced. Uh, the story that I want you to look at is in 2 Kings, book of 2 Kings. It is first introduced in chapter 6. In the book of uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, we find the story of a young man named Elisha. Now, this young man, Elisha, was what the Bible calls a prophet. In those days, they were called seers. In other words, people who could see. And this particular prophet had an amazing ability to sense when God was about to act, and he would uh, prophesy or foretell that which would come to pass. In this particular situation, uh, the Scripture reveals that there was a, uh, an, a, an army that came from Syria, and this particular army uh, surrounded the house of Elisha. The reason for that is because every time that he wanted to attack uh, the Hebrews, it always 
seem as if though somebody knew precisely his plans, and every time that he attempted something, his plans were always foiled. And so he wondered whether or not there was some spy in the camp, and then somebody told him, no, it's not a spy, it has to, happens to be a prophet, and his name is Elisha. So the king then sent his army to surround Elijah's home, and uh, when Elijah's servant uh, realized that the house was surrounded by the enemy, there was a great host. And verse 14, if you're there, it says, There were chariots and horses and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth. Behold, and host encompassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? In other words, we are in big trouble. And Elisha said the following. You ought to underline this for those of you who like to underline your, your Bible. He answered and said, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, obviously, as I've said, this man was a seer. A what? Seer. A seer. He had ability to see something that other people could not see. And he uh, said, there are more that are with us than there, there are out there. And then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, a mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now, what the story finally reveals is that these soldiers were all blinded, and they could not see where they were, they, uh, were going. And so Elijah said, well, come with me, and I'll lead you just to, where you're, uh, to the place you're seeking. And so he led them uh, actually right into uh, the inner circle of the city. And when their eyes were open, they realized that they were captives. The king wanted to smite them. That's verse 22. And Elijah said, no. Don't do that. And so they treated them well. They sent them home. And the scripture says in uh, verse 23, So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Now, that's the introduction into what we want to study tonight. The Bible then introduces us into a great famine in Samaria. And a great famine took place in Samaria simply because Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. Now, there is a lot of language in the scriptures that sometimes we, we don't understand or sometimes we just pass over it. But when it says besieged the city, uh, it's interesting. One time my, uh, my daughter was talking to her husband and the husband uh, was trying to impress her about how well he was acquainted with the scriptures. And he says, my eyes beseech me. 
Well, it was obvious that he was not uh, well-versed in Scripture, was he? Because the word besiege uh, has to do with encompassing or surrounding. And so what happened was that the armies in those days, all the cities were walled cities. I don't know how many of you have been to uh, Europe. Uh, you'll find in Europe a lot of the old cities were, uh, still have walls around them. Uh, if you go to Korea, uh, they still have, the wall is no longer there basically, but they still have the gates. They are four main gates in that city of Seoul. And before, a long time ago, it used to be uh, surrounded by a wall. And the wall was built to keep enemies out and uh, to protect the people inside. And when armies came to attack a city, what they would do is they would actually surround the city, completely surround the city, and cut off all supplies that could come into the city. The, the idea was this. If we could get these people to get uh, to become hungry enough and weak enough, uh, if we have to go and, and, and fight the city, they're too weak and it'll be an easy thing to take them over. Uh, or they'll become so hungry that they'll surrender. At either, in either uh, event, uh, it will be an easy take and these people will become our servants. And so they were surround the city. And, and listen, sometimes they surrounded the city for three years. This was not just a, a uh, weekend expedition. This was actually uh, a long, drawn-out process that took sometimes uh, months and sometimes it took years, uh, depending upon how much food the city had or whether or not they had water in that city. And so the city then was surrounded, and since it was surrounded, um, they had no food left over. And the Bible says then that they began to, uh, to sell whatever they had left over to eat. Now, I don't know how many of you remember uh, in Haiti uh, not long ago, and I'm not speaking about the earthquake that hit Haiti, I'm talking about before that, that Things are so bad in Haiti that people were actually making uh, cakes of clay to eat. In this particular situation, it says, look at verse 25. There's a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they beseeched it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver. In other words, the head of a donkey was sold for 80 pieces of silver. And then it says, the fourth part of a cab of a dove's dung for five pieces of silver. Now, things have to get pretty bad for people to want to buy the dung of a dove. Now, you know what dung is, right? And so, uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty serious now. These people have been, had been besieged and it's been long enough that the food is completely gone and the only thing they have to eat is whatever remains uh, of a dove and, of course, a head, for example, of a, of a donkey. The Scripture says then, as the king of Israel was passing 
by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord do not help thee, how can I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? And the king said unto her, what, what, What's the matter? What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, give, me, give thy son, that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son, that we may eat him. And she hath hit her son. Now, folks, the language here is, is quite, uh, quite vivid and quite gruesome. Things have gotten pretty, pretty desperate in Samaria. There isn't much to eat. And mothers have turned to eat their own children. Then the scripture says, something interesting takes place. Look at chapter 7. In chapter 7, verse 3, we're introduced into four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. Now, these particular men, in those days, leopards, uh, people who had leprosy, generally speaking, were not permitted in, inside the city. They had to stay outside of the, the wall. And the Bible reveals that there were four such people just outside the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? They couldn't go inside, and they were afraid of the enemy outside. They were kind of stuck in a, in a very awkward situation. But they also recognized this, that it wasn't long before they would die if they just remained sitting by the gate. Verse 4 says, if we say we will enter into the city, then the famine in the, in the city, we shall die there. And if we sit still here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall but die. In other words, we're going to die anyway. So if we go inside, we're going to die. If we stay here, we're going to die. So there is the slim possibility that we may be able to survive this if we just go to the Syrians and maybe they see our terrible condition and uh, have mercy on us and rather than kill us, they spare us. But if they kill us, that's the worst that can happen to us. So they rose up in the twilight to go unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel have hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. 
Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight, and left their tents and their horses and their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. The prophet had predicted that, that in a short time there would be so much food that uh, it would be in abundance. And of course, in this dire circumstances, that kind of prophecy seemed foolish. Many times, when things look bad, I'm thankful that the Scripture revealed to us that God is still in control. What do you say? And that no matter how difficult things get, sometimes it's good that things become difficult. Um, I was down south in Georgia. How many of you have heard of a place called Hoboken, Georgia? Any of you? Most of you have heard of Hoboken, New Jersey, right? Did you know there's a Hoboken, Georgia? Did you? No. In fact, a lot of people from Georgia don't know there's a Hoboken, Georgia. <laughs> I happen to know because I had a piece of land right in Hoboken, Georgia. And there was a, a little island not too far from there called Jekyll Island. Any of you have heard of Jekyll Island? Jekyll Island was a very famous island. It was the island where the Rockefellers and other rich people would go for vacations. Well, today is a tourist spot. Uh, well, next to that Jekyll Island is the, uh, another island. And I happened to, to know the gentleman that owned that island. He was an old codger. And he was kind of a funny fella. One time we were together, and he says, mm, 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 boy, I love chiggers. How many of you have heard of chiggers? Any of you? <laughs> Ch chiggers are little bugs that somehow dig into your skin, and they, it itches and itches and itches. They especially like to get into tight spots around your waist, etc. And it's an awful experience to get chiggers in you. Well, he loved chiggers. So I said, why do you love chiggers? He said, because it feels so good to scratch. <laughs> now, sometimes it is the bad things that make the deliverance sweet. What do you say? Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you hearing me? Sometimes we complain about our our situation. We complain about our circumstances. Sometimes we get angry uh, with God because things are happening that, that uh, shouldn't happen. Uh, we question God and we wonder why God can let things happen this way. The situation in Israel was bleak. There was no food. They were in dire straits, and there was no hope. These leopards felt, well, we're going to die one way or another. Let's at least see if, we, if we'll have mercy. When they got to the uh, place, verse 8, they came to the othermost part of the camp, and they went into one tent, and did eat and drink, and carried thence silver and gold and raiment, and went and hid it. Came again, and entered into another tent, and carried them also, and went and hid it. So what were they doing? 
they were just having a great, great time. They had come hoping for mercy, and they found a huge bounty. And now they're going to take good advantage of the situation. And so they go from one tent to another tent. And they're getting silver and gold and raiments, and what they're doing, they're going to hide it. Uh, I really don't understand the thinking of these people, uh, inasmuch as in those days there was no cure for leprosy. Uh, so the silver and gold would not buy them anything else than perhaps food, if they can get close to people to buy it from. But in this particular situation, they were uh, just rejoicing at the, at, the, at the discovery of this tremendous opportunity to fill themselves and to get all that they could get and hide it. Then verse 9 is the, the verse that I want you to really focus on. Notice what it says. Then they said one to another, we do not what? We do, we're not doing this. This isn't right. We do not well. This is not right what we're doing. Conscience awakens. They recognize that while they are enjoying themselves and feeding themselves, that there are people inside the city that have no idea that all of this is available. People inside are still eating dung from a dove. People inside are still without hope. As far as they're concerned, it's just a matter of time before they become so weak that the enemy comes in and slaughters them, or from hunger, they die. But these leopards, conscience awakens, and they recognize that what they are doing is not correct. We do not well. Repeat that with me. We do not well. We do not well. Notice what it says then. This day is a day of good tidings and we hold our peace. This day is a day of what? good tidings, but what were they doing? They were holding their peace. They were being selfish. They were keeping the blessings only to themselves. We can even say that they were, had become greedy. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. And then he, they said, if we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now there's guilt setting in. 
and a sense that there may be divine retribution for keeping silent when uh, there's a great, great famine in Israel and people are dying and suffering and in misery while they are having a great time. And so, if we continue like this till the morning, some great mischief will come upon us. Now, therefore, come that we may go and tell the king's household. So, conscience awakens. Now they recognize that this is something that they should not keep to themselves. It was a divine act that God had manifested his mercy toward Israel, and this was not to be something hoarded by a few people. It was a blessing to be realized and experienced by all who were in Israel. And so these particular individuals were holding back the blessing that God intended for everyone to, to have. And so, Scripture says then that they came to the porter of the city, verse 10, and they told them, saying, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no man there, neither voice of man, but horses tied and asses tied and the tents as they were. And he called the porters, and they told it to the king's house within. And the king arose in the night and said unto his servant, I will now show you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we be hungry. Therefore are they gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And so this is a trap, guys, and I'm not falling for it. Well, one of the servants said, let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain, which are left in the city. Behold, they are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, they are even as all the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed. Let us send and see. Let us at least check it out. And they took, therefore, two chariot horses, and the king sent after the hosts of the, of the Syrians, saying, Go and see. And they went after them unto Jordan. And lo, all the way was full of garments and vessels which the Syrians had cast away in their haste. The messengers returned and told the king. And then the door opened up, and all the people ran to the tents. And the scripture says that that which the prophet had predicted became a reality. Uh, people were able to uh, eat, and it says uh, in verse 18, it came to pass as the man of God has spoken to the king, saying, two measures of barley for a shekel, and a measure of fine flour for a shekel, shall be tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Now, notice it says, we do not well. Repeat that with me again. We do not well. What was it that they were not doing well? They were not sharing with others the blessings that God had brought to them. Now, let's bring that close to home. I don't know how many of you have become Christians. There was a time when I was not a Christian. 
we grew up in New York City, by we I mean my brothers, six of us, and my mother raising us by her, herself. And I have to tell you that our situation was pretty desperate. Uh, I remember back in Puerto Rico when I was about four years old. In fact, I was in Puerto Rico just last weekend. And my older brother, who still remembers how it was and where it was that he would walk barefooted, he would walk for miles barefooted to go and shine shoes so he could make a few pennies to help my mother with our needs. I remember the desperate situation that my mother was in. And my mother got a job at a uh, cafeteria that had just been established by the government to feed the poor. She got fired from that job. The reason they fired her was because when they provided meals, for the poor, and there was food left over, they would throw the food away. But my mother, who every time she remembers, or she re would remember her circumstances back home as she was growing up, she would start crying. And she would say, I don't even want to remember how miserable our lives were, how hungry we were. And so when she would see the food being thrown away, she would gather the food and go out and give it to other poor people. Well, when they caught her doing that, they fired her. But my mother said to us, se me parte el alma, which means my heart breaks, to think that there are so many hungry people out there and we're throwing food away. When I came here to uh, Laurelwood, I met a man who passed away a couple of years ago. He happened to be a church member in the church next door. And we began to talk, and as we were talking, he asked me where I was from. I said, I was born in Puerto Rico. And he said, where? And I said, El Fanguito. Well, he knew that name. It's interesting uh, that he knew it. So I said, how, how do you know that, that name? He said, I was a sailor in the Navy and stationed in Puerto Rico. Oh, I said, you were. He said, yes. And, there was, and we came across that place called El Fanguito. And he said he was the... The most, the most impoverished place that I ever have seen in my life. He says, I remember the children uh, naked, barefooted, walking in the, in the muck and mire uh, and in the, uh, in the waste, human waste that was being dropped from the houses that were sitting on stilks over the bay. And we were so, so troubled by that that we wanted to do something for those kids. 
And so we decided to at least get some candy and give it to them. And so we bought candy and we came to that little place and, and we found the kids and we would always just give the candy to the kids. And I said, Richard, thank you for the candy. When we moved to New York, it was not much better. Since we were poor, my mother was sick, we had to be on something called welfare. Any of you have heard of welfare? And I remember how, how shameful it was to us that we had to be on welfare. My father had abandoned us, and that's why my mother was in such a desperate situation. Well, my dad went to Chicago, and his new wife that he had found heard about a program called La Voz de la Esperanza, which is the voice of prophecy. And she began to listen to it. And as she listened to it, hope sprang up. What sprang up? Hope sprang up. And she began to, to, to uh, take Bible studies. And she was so excited with what she was learning about God that she wanted her husband to also get involved and become interested. So what she did was she said, Honey, I can get a certificate of diploma if I finish this course. The problem is I'm having a hard time finding my way through that book because I don't know the Bible too well. Can you help me? Can you at least find the, the references and fill it out for me? So he said, sure. So he began to find the verses and fill out the Bible study. And then she would send it in, and she would get the next one. And finally, somebody showed up to her home. A brother, Paris was his name, and began formal Bible studies in the home. And what's exciting is this, that my dad and his wife became so enamored with what they were learning about God that they decided to commit their lives to God and become baptized believers, and they did. They were baptized. Then my, uh, my uh, dad confessed to her that he had abandoned children. She felt horrible about that. And so she encouraged him to move to New York City, where we were, to bring us the message. Now, let me, let me tell you the wonderful thing that took place. It took 10 years because we were very resistant. We didn't appreciate the fact that he had abandoned us. We didn't want to have anything to do with him. But he had something good that he must share with his children. You understand? And uh, he came and spent time, and it took 10 years, but finally one of the brothers became converted. And then the next brother became converted. But you know what's interesting about it is that when you get the taste of how good the Lord is, you can't keep it to yourself. 
And so they began to share with the rest of the brothers. And it was like a, a plague of a good kind that passed through the house because it, it, uh, it went like wildfire from one to the other, from one to the other, from one to the other. And finally, all six of us became converted and turned to the Lord. But listen, when you have something that's so good, you can't keep it to yourself. And so we then began to share it with our cousins. We had a cousin who had no interest whatsoever in what we had to share. He was in a miserable condition. And sometimes people in, in the, in the condition that he's in actually enjoy being miserable. It's hard to believe that people can enjoy being miserable. But when you're a drug addict and you, and you enjoy drugs and you are in misery because you have those addictions and you have to get the fix, otherwise you go to terrible withdrawals, you want the drug. And so we began to witness to him. And Cousin Joe was uh, studying uh, chemical engineering at the time. So he, he was uh, pretty well educated as far as he was concerned. And we were pretty ignorant as far as he was concerned also, because most of us had dropped out of school uh, to find work to help mother out with, with, the, with the needs of the home. Well, Cousin Joe uh, was a very staunch believer in evolution. Uh, he had all, all of the information that he thought uh, he needed to support his position. But we would come and, and uh, talk to him. And uh, he, he was pretty sharp, except there's something sharper. That's the Word of God. What do you say? And so he would give us his answers, and we would give him our answers. And so uh, pretty soon, we noticed that Cousin Joe was not very anxious to talk to us any longer. So we would knock at the door, and my auntie would come out and say, Oh, Junior, he's not here. They were staunch Catholics. Uh, my auntie was, was a, a godly woman. She's still alive, praise the Lord. And uh, she was just one of those sweet, sweet aunties, the kind of auntie that anyone would love to have. Well, nonetheless, they were very staunch Catholic, and somehow they believed that we had abandoned God because we had uh, uh, accepted a different faith. And they didn't want their son to be contaminated by that. But you know, when you have something good, you got to tell it. What do you say? Amen. And so we felt we do not well if we kept it to ourselves. So we, we were after him, uh, but we couldn't find him. And so finally, I, I suspicion that, that he was being uh, covered. So I said to my wife, honey, you knock at the front door and I'll go to the back door. And so that's what happened. I went to the front door, and my auntie came, uh, pardon me, my wife went to the front door, and my auntie, I could hear her say, Junior, he's not here, Carol. And as soon as she was saying that, the door squeaked open, you know. And I was standing there, just leaning against it. And old Cousin Joey, he was just tiptoeing out 
and opened the door. And as he was going to take another step, he bumped into me. And so he said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm looking at the stars. He said, no, come on, what are you doing here? I said, I want to talk to you. He said, I don't want to talk to you. I said, why not? He said, look, I don't want to talk to you. Leave me alone. And I said, but Joe, I don't understand this. You and I are closer than brothers. You and I have grown together. We've always shared everything, all our toys, and it's true. We, we had chemistry sets we share with one another, everything we share with one another. Our clothing we share with one another. And I said, I don't understand it. What have I done to offend you? He said, you haven't done anything to offend me. I said, then why don't you want to talk with me? He said, because every time I talk to you, I'm pretty sure that I, I'm fixed in my position until I talk to you. And it makes me angry that you guys don't have education, and I do, and I can't ever win. So he said, I don't want to talk to you anymore. So I said, why not? He, well, he said, look, because if I don't know, God can't condemn me. So I said, well, you're right. God won't condemn you if you don't know. But then I said it very quickly. But God will condemn you if you could have known and he chose not to. And he said, I knew I should have talked to you. Well, he was hooked. He was what? He was hooked. And that was it. Once he knew that if he could have known and chosen not to, that he was still in a fix with God, he decided to pay attention. But you know, my uncle, his father, was a very, very mean, mean guy. He was a very hard individual. Uh, in Puerto Rico, we use this sign. You know what that means? It means he's stingy. He's a miser. He is uh, all about self. He's so hard that even if you hit him hard, you know sometimes when you hit people hard enough on the elbow, the arm opens, you understand? But we do this in Puerto Rico to mean that it doesn't matter how hard you hit the elbow, it's not opening. You know, he's, he, he's, he's not going to give in. That man was so, so hard that when he knew we were poor, and my aunt always wept because we would come to the store, they owned a store, hoping that, that we could get whatever they're going to throw away. But he preferred to throw it away than to give it to us. And my aunt would just weep over that. She felt like the leopards. We are blessed. We have all of this. And my nephews are hungry. How can we throw this food away? Never mind. He was, he was a hard, hard, hard man. And my aunt feared him. Well, when my cousin turned to God and uh, left his drugs, he finally decided to confront Uncle Joe and said, Dad, i got to talk with you. Sit down. And the father said, I don't need to sit down. Tell me what you need to tell me. He said, no, Dad, I think you better sit down. He said, I don't need to sit down. What is it? What's the matter? He said, Dad, you'll have to sit down for this one. <laughs> and finally, 
he sat down. He, he began to wonder, it must, something, must be something terrible. And so then, once he sat down, my cousin began to reveal to him his miserable state in which he was in. Dad, he said, you don't know this, but I've been a heroin addict. You thought I was a good boy going to school and becoming some professional. But in reality, Dad, I was in a, in a terrible condition. And he said, if it wasn't for my cousin sharing with me the blessings that they had found, who knows where I would be today. Dad, it troubles me, he said, that you don't want my cousins around because you feel that I've left religion. Dad, I was never religious. I only went to church because you forced me to go. But I had no faith in God. I didn't know God. I didn't believe in God. And if it were not for my cousins that brought me the wonderful message, I still would be a drug addict, Dad. Well, Cousin Joe told me what happened. My uncle almost had a heart attack, literally. He, he, uh, he just weakened and fell off his chair and began to weep. My uncle had never cried before. And he began to weep. And finally he stood up and said to my cousin, if that religion has done that for you and for your cousins, I need it too. And I'll tell you, my uncle began to study the Word of God and praise the Lord. That man became a changed man. And you know, he could not keep the blessing to himself any longer. I'll tell you what happened. And I had children, and I would go visit Uncle Joe. And we were trying to keep our kids uh, from eating a lot of candy, you understand. And we would take them to his store and uh, to visit because usually that's where they were. My uncle and aunt were always there in the store. And so he would say, oh, Timmy, Jerry, come here. And he would take them around the store and say, well, what do you want? Here, take this. Here, take this. Here, have this. And I came up to him as Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe, please uh, don't give that stuff to my kids. Don't tell me what to do with my stuff. It's mine. I can do whatever I want to with it. <laughs> and so my kids would walk out with, with the arms full of candy and stuff. Uncle Joe learned that he did not do well. And when the message came, he could not keep it to himself any longer as well. Listen, because of the message that was brought to our home, my whole family rejoices in the hope of the soon coming of Christ today. Because somebody was willing to put forth the effort to bring the message to us. My, my, uh, all my brothers became uh, converted. My auntie and my uncle, my cousin and my other, his sister became converted. The other sister became converted and her husband became converted. And then my cousin's husband was an atheist. 
didn't believe in God, had no relish for religion, was actually a stranger to divine influences. You know, it's interesting. Just the other day, I called up to see how they were doing. And uh, Andy is his name. Andy and Margie were in the church helping getting stuff together for the homeless. Andy, the atheist, the, the fellow who always mocked and ridiculed when he finally discovered how good the message was of the Lord, he himself recognized that he would not do well if he kept it to himself. Listen, listen. It is obvious from the scriptures that God has brought to you and to me the everlasting gospel. What do you say? I don't know what the message of God has done for you. I don't know what the revelation of, of Christ has done for you. But for me, it has completely changed my whole perspective of life. It has given me uh, vistas or views of things that I had never understood before. It has answered questions that I had never had answers for. It changed things inside of me that I never believed could be changed. It delivered me from things that I never thought I could be delivered from. The message of salvation has come to me, and because of that, I do not well if I keep it to myself. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, friends, when you understand, like these lepers understood, the blessings that came as a result of the divine intervention that God had done in their lives, how could they keep it to themselves? Listen, there are a lot of people out there who are in great need. Many times they don't even know that they're in great need, but they are. There are people who know they're in great need and wish that somehow somebody would come and share with them hope. Listen, it says awakened, what? Hope. hope. What is it? Awakened, awakened hope. There's no greater satisfaction, no greater joy when you finally are in the condition that these people were in in Israel, in dire straits, without hope, and when finally the word came, the message came that there's food out there, hope awakened. And I don't know how it is with you tonight. I'm not sure what your situation is. I don't know about those who would be watching this telecast, how they find themselves. I know this, that I come across a lot of people who have a need. In Guam, where I serve, I got a telephone call from a periodontist. A periodontist is a, is a dentist who uh, specializes in do, doing surgery and implants. This man is well recognized in the community. In fact, his wife is the uh, judge, the federal judge for Guam. You would think that people in that 
position, have no needs. But Robert had uh, heart problems. And he had to be sent to California to have a quadruple bypass. Robert has been very successful in his business, in his life. And so has his wife been very successful. But when I got wind that Robert was in the hospital, I called him up and asked him if I could pray with him. He said, please. I prayed with him over the phone. And that's the last time I talked to him for a while. He went back to uh, Guam. And when I finally saw him, he came, he's a big, big gentleman. He came and grabbed me and hugged me and said, Pastor, he said, your prayer did something for me. He said, I was down, feeling terrible, wondering if I was going to make it or not. And just when I needed it most, you called. And he said, after that prayer, hope awakened. And somehow inside of me, I knew I would make it through. And he says, I feel great. Thank you for praying for me. And then he said, Pastor, when is your next mission trip? He said, look, after that experience, he said, I don't care to be a periodontist any longer. He said, in fact, I wouldn't mind giving up my practice, donating it to somebody, and go with you and just serve God. He says, nothing has filled my soul like that experience. Hope awakened in him. Imagine, folks, if we kept quiet. And I think some of you have been in situations where you felt inside that you should say something to somebody. Is that true? But for some reason, maybe you felt uncomfortable. Maybe you experienced what Moses experienced. Oh, Lord, I, I'm slow to speak. And, or maybe you felt embarrassed. And you didn't say anything. You could have, but you didn't. Perhaps you felt self-reproach. 
you did not do well in keeping it to yourself. And if there's something that that I pray that God will do for us, all of us, it's that somehow the Lord will awaken in us that excitement, that zeal, that like the leopards, we would feel there's a community out there that needs hope and that we can look for them and awaken hope in them. What do you say? But friends, listen, too often times as a church, as a people, as an individual, we do not well. Has the knowledge of Christ done something for you? Has Christ in your life brought meaning to you? Did it give you hope? Did it give you direction? Did it give you deliverance? Did it set you free? Did it give you answers to questions that you had no answers to before? Have you been blessed in knowing the Lord? If you have been blessed, but you don't share the blessings, then you do not well. But I wonder tonight, in conclusion, Do you love the message that you have? Do you sense that perhaps you should be doing more in sharing the message than you have heretofore? And in your heart tonight, you feel a conviction that you have not done well. Sometimes the hardest places to try to witness is with your friends at at school with you. If you go to a public school, sometimes you feel bashful, shy. You don't want to be a square. People will laugh at you. They will ridicule you, etc. And you've kept quiet because you don't want to be singled out. And tonight, you'd like to say, Lord, give me victory over this. Help me to see that these people are in need. And I do not well keeping it to myself. While here this weekend, help me to gain that confidence that would help me to tell others of your wonderful salvation that you've brought to my life. And I wonder if that's your desire. Would you raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to be able to do well. I want to be able to tell others in a way that will impress them of the great bounties that are out there if they would only turn to you. Friends, listen. By God's grace, let's do well. What do you say? Let's awaken hope in others. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have blessed our lives, that you have enriched us You have opened up our eyes. You have delivered us. You have given us victories over our frailties. But Lord, we confess that too oftentimes we keep the blessing to ourselves. Forgive us. And by your grace this weekend, turn us around. 
Make us all that we should become. And then grant us the grace to go and tell others of the great salvation that you have offered. We pray it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.